Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the astrology of October of 2022. Joining me today are astrologers Austin Kopic and Diana Rose Harper. Welcome, both of you. Hey, Chris. Hey. So uh, we're going to start the episode by first uh, talking about, do a little bit of a review for about 45 minutes of some of the astrology stories in the news over the course of the past month to check in since the last time we did a forecast episode. And then after that, we're going to jump into the astrology of October. So if you want to jump ahead to that, just look for timestamps below this video on YouTube or on the astrologypodcast.com website. All right. So first, let me do a review. Before the review, let me give an overview of the astrology of October just to give you a preview of what we're going to be talking about this month. So here's the astrological alignments calendar, that, which is from our poster that's like a print poster, but this is the zoomed in version just for October. So right at the top of the month, we have Mercury stationing direct and ending its retrograde period on October 2nd. Later in the week, Pluto stations retrograde on the 8th of October. The following day, we have a full moon in Aries, followed by Mercury leaving Virgo for the final time this year and departing and moving into Libra. Then about a week later, we have a Sun-Venus conjunction on the 22nd of October, followed the next day by a triple lineup of Saturn stationing direct in Aquarius for the final time, Venus ingressing into Scorpio, and the Sun also ingressing into Scorpio, thus beginning the start of Scorpio season, which is arguably the best season in the year. Two days later, we have a solar eclipse in the sign of Scorpio on the 25th of October, and then finally, we have Jupiter retrograding back into Pisces on the 28th, Mercury ingressing into Scorpio on the 29th, and then Mars stationing retrograde on the 30th of October and beginning a very long retrograde period in the sign of Gemini that will last for the next few months. So that is the overview. That's the preview of what we're going to be talking about later in the episode. But before we get there, why don't we talk a little bit about what's been going on and catch up on the news since the last time we spoke about a month ago. So one of the major things is we've been having a Mercury retrograde in the sign of Libra so far. It's going to retrograde back into Virgo, but there's been a ton of stories in the news. And it seems like, I know Austin, you and I were talking about this. It seems as if this Mercury retrograde has been extra retrograde because Mars has been in the sign of Gemini at the same time. Yeah, it certainly has. Um, I like how Diana characterized it just a few minutes ago, which was, it's been like a, a machine gun, like a rapid fire sequence of uh, Mercury red, like very like classic cliched trite Mercury retrograde things. Um, and it's not just one, like, you know, as you were saying, Diana, like one after another, like I couldn't write them all down. Mm hmm. Yeah, and it's really interesting too because it's you know Mercury retrograde in Libra, which is has been ruled by a Venus in Virgo, so it's like Venus is in fall, ostensibly in charge of this Mercury, and Mercury should be in charge of this Venus as well as Mars, and so we put the Sun in Virgo too. There's just like all of these like nothing is good enough, everything is breaking apart, like having to put puzzle pieces back together. Um, as well as even just the puzzle of trying to put together how even to describe this retrograde. Like, there's too much. There's like, what is the, what's the theme, right? Like, what is the, uh, I don't know, the title card for this retrograde? It's actually just a wall of text. Yeah. And yeah. at the same time, it's like, I don't know, have you ever heard anybody say anything about a Mercury retrograde? That. <laughs> yeah. Right. Totally very cliche stuff. So 
The retrograde, it happened just doing the animation for the video viewers. Mercury stationed retrograde around September 9th or 10th. It's been retrograde since that time. We're only now, in the next few days, about to hit the um, middle point of that or the halfway point. We're recording this episode on September 21st, 2022. And then, like I said, it's going to station retrograde and wrap up towards the beginning of October. Um, but some of the stories in the news that I've been seeing, one of them is that a few days ago in Mercury Retrograde News, one of the biggest leaks in video game history occurred over the weekend when Grand Theft Auto 6 was leaked online. And there's some sort of hacker that got access to everything. And it had been a highly secretive project where they hadn't released hardly anything yet because it was, I believe, the highest selling video game in history, the last one that was released like 10 years ago, GTA 5. So this was a major snafu that supposedly could lead to huge additional delays of upwards of another year in terms of the development cycle of that game, which is already taking a decade at this point. That's really funny, too, because like autos, like automobiles right. are Mars slash Mercury things. Theft yeah. is Mars and Mercury. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and it's literally, yeah, it's a game. It's a game about thievery that was thieved. It's very, yeah. it's very meta. It's a little on the nose. Um, so that was interesting in more positive Mercury retrograde news in terms of um, sometimes the tendency for Mercury retrogrades to go back and like review things that happened in the past and sometimes to revise or reverse them. Um, there was a, a guy, Anand Said, was released from prison who was featured in one of the early episodes of the Serial podcast in his case where a number of people argued that he was wrongly convicted of murder, of murdering his his girlfriend or his ex-girlfriend. Um, he ended up being released from jail in the, just the past few days, which is another interesting Mercury retrograde thing. Um, I noticed that he was also 42 years old. So that means he's also going through his Uranus opposition. And so that's an interesting sudden reversal in terms of that as well. It's also very Libra, just like writing, writing the scales of justice. Right, having mm. to go back to balance a justice decision. Okay, and someone in the chat uh, says that he was convicted during a Mercury retrograde too. So that's actually super interesting. Um, if that's if that's the case, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, all right, did you two? What are your Mercury retrograde or Mars in Gemini stories that you've you've seen? Well, so the the one that stuck out to me because it happened on the day of the station, um, which also involves scales. Um, but the type of scales that are used to weigh a person's weight rather than the amount of justice that they contain um, was um, during a UFC event, Mercury stationed retrograde while they were doing the weigh-ins, which happened the day before the event. One person who was at the top of the card, Hamzat uh, Chimaev, missed weight. And this created a cascade of problems where 60% of the fights in the main card had to be like musical chaired. So you ended up with, uh, you know, again, uh, three of five of the main fights being between different people than were scheduled. And so that means for everyone who traveled, you know, in some cases, thousands of miles for this event to see uh, Hamzat Shemaya versus Nate Diaz, that didn't happen. Nate fought somebody else. Hamzat fought somebody else. Um, and for the athletes who spent a minimum of three months focusing on and imagining fighting one person. 24 hours out from the event, had, we're fighting somebody totally different. And so this was just 
uh, you 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 couldn't have had a more literal Mercury retrograde stationing, right? Um, things need to be rearranged, um, and then ruling Mars and Gemini, right? And because Mercury's ruling Mars, then all of the fights, the Mars are different, all and they're literally pairings, right? It's Mars and Gemini, so that was a that was just like a standout literal thing on the day of the station. That's a good example because sometimes Mercury retrograde rewards people that are, like think fast on their feet and can. Um, you know, reconfigure if plans go awry and they think they're going to do one thing, but they end up having to do something else. It's the person that's the most flexible and, and adaptive to that, that sometimes comes out ahead. Right. And well, and right. And that's interesting because in Mercury and other phases excels at planning. Right. And so, um, you know, and you, you'll literally see people talking about, oh, they had a great game plan or their game plan wasn't very good. And there's lots of study that goes into opponents, but that was all gone. And so uh, it instead depended on, on what you just said, Chris, it was the, you know, who can adapt to a new situation, a new opponent, somebody they hadn't studied, or you've got 24 hours, right? Go watch tape. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Diana, do you have any news stories that popped out to you in the past month? Um, I mean, the news story that most popped out to me is actually more about the Venus Mars square. So I don't know if mm. we want to get and go there yet. <laughs> oh, you should go there. That was a good story. But, Did it pop out? <laughs> so it's just so funny. It was such an exact thing. I'm sure people saw about this, but um, in Oklahoma, a tractor trailer like overturned on, you know, on the highway. But it wasn't just, you know, full of like Amazon packages. It was filled with like dildos and lube. So there was just this <laughs> entire collection, like a like a very large sex store on the highway all of a sudden. Um, and I thought that was such a perfect like Venus Mars square situation. We bring in the Gemini and it's like it's something that's in transit. Um, Venus and Virgo is like, yes, I like doing things, but I like doing them in private. And Mars is like, no, you don't. Right. So We're going that was actually yeah. that was the day of the Venus Mars square. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that one just. I could not stop chuckling about it. It was too good. Yeah, that's super funny. Uh, mm -hmm. in terms of oh, yeah. Mars. And it was activated by that moon that was coming in at Mars at the same time. So, yeah. And yeah. Oh, okay. So that's, yeah. And that's Saturday. Um, mm -hmm. That's funny. The, um, what was I going to say? Do, 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 do. Um, oh, I was just going to say that. And that, that's interesting because in, a lot of Hellenistic texts, especially Firmicus, whenever you have Venus Mars squares, it's all about sexual scandal, like scandalous mm -hmm. behavior or scandal, licentious rumors, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, um, I think, nicely framed by the way you said it, which is the private becoming public, mm -hmm. right? Nothing wrong with having a dildo, but you probably don't want your collection strewn out and like in your driveway, right? Yeah. Much I mean, it takes a certain kind of highway. person. <laughs> Not everybody is an exhibitionist. There's a reason why that's a specific niche. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's pretty good. So that's a good, that's also a little Mercury retrograde as well in terms of mm -hmm. Mercury retrograde in Libra. Um, all right. Other news stories since we last checked in. Um, of course, one of the biggest news stories of the month that was all over social media was the death of uh, Queen Elizabeth II, who is the longest reigning monarch. Um, I guess in the world up to this point, and um, she, of course, like most of the British royal family, has a time chart. So that's kind of interesting in terms of being able to look at her chart and some of the timing with that. And I, I'd used her chart in my book, and it's just kind of fascinating that she became one of the longest living monarchs with Capricorn rising and Saturn ruling the ascendant and being conjunct 
the degree of the midheaven there. Um, but it's also fascinating that it's like a night chart. So there's some problems with Saturn, and Saturn sometimes functions as the most difficult planet when it's in a night chart and when it's connected with career significators and um and also ruling the ascendant in the first house of self. There ended up being very large debate, like when she died, about um like the royal family and like past and current injustices involving colonialism and all sorts of things like that. And I mentioned that because it's also kind of tied in with the Mercury retrograde because since she had uh, Capricorn rising, Libra was her 10th whole sign house and she died just like a day or two before Mercury stationed retrograde right up there in the 10th house. So there's this interesting like reversal in terms of what the dialogue was initially versus like it kind of getting flipped and the dialogue going in a different direction than some people expected. And then that in and of itself causing a lot of discussion and controversy. I also find it really interesting that transiting Saturn is hanging around that Mars Jupiter conjunction in Aquarius, which is square, that natal Saturn midheaven situation, and all of these questions around what's the worldview that allows for mon monarchy, and is that a worldview we're still in? Yeah, okay, so for sure. This this sounds a little bit flippant, and I actually don't mean it this, that that way. But it is interesting um, that um, you know uh, the you know the world's most famous living monarch up till you know a couple weeks ago um, passes and makes people think about monarchy at the same time as the new um, Game of Thrones spinoff has been airing, mm. which is literally about like an incestuous monarchy that you know. Um, that you know has fallen by the time the main show begins. Like you're looking back at like a, you know, at like, you know, you know that that dynasty is done with. And so you're, you know, checking in with them before the fall. Um, and so there is, there's an inherently critical lens on that dynasty. It's also yeah. interesting thinking about House of the Dragon and how with the British monarchy, there was already a precedent for a queen. But in the Targaryen dynasty, there's like the rejection of the possibility of a queen and how that creates tension. It's just interesting to think about what even allowed Elizabeth II's reign to happen. Right. Elizabeth in the contrast. first. Definitely. Yeah. Where Elizabeth was... the first, but also Elizabeth the second. Yeah. Just like the. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Well, and there was Nick um, a couple months ago, Nick had, um, I, I don't even remember, maybe it was the Saturn Uranus. Um, square that he was associating with but he was talking about the like the fall of um very prominent like women leaders mm. uh, being associated he found that historically with the saturn uranus square chris am mm -hmm. i am i remembering that correctly uh yeah something like that yeah and i mean yeah i don't know is this a fall it's certainly like a, a fall from life um but you know i don't know um there's at least a resonance with that. Mm -hmm. And Saturn Uranus are kicking right now. I think that's a really excellent point because this is like the month that Saturn Uranus, that square gets the closest again that it's going to get um, in this year, in this cycle that we've been having those Saturn Uranus squares. And one of the recurring things that we keep talking about is our, that's become our main phrase or keyword for that is um, something that is like established that's always been around that you just take for granted suddenly the foundations of that like crumbling and that thing disappearing. And we've had a number of manifestations of that at different points in this year, like um, the Roe versus Wade decision, just like suddenly disappearing almost overnight. Um, there was a literal manifestation of that a year ago at the very first time of the square, which is 
um, when that uh, building in Florida just like collapsed, mm -hmm. that that condo building. And here, this is something that is another sort of version of that metaphor, that same thing, which is like somebody that's just been around literally forever. Like she's been queen forever for longest, longer than anybody else. And it's just sort of taken for granted at this point. And then one day suddenly she's not, she's not, and everything sort of changes or is reconfigured suddenly. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and, and, and it, right. It, like the, um, and her disappearance, um, again, like brings into question the entire edifice that she was sort of anchoring. Right. Right. And that, that's sure. often, you know, if we're talking about like Saturn Uranus, right, there's, you know, I, I, you know, it's hard not to think of it as a stress test, right? Because, you know, when something has structural, uh, deep structural flaws, when you, when you give it a little bit of a shake or a wiggle, it just crumbles, right? Other things remain fine, but they might look equally sturdy before you give them a shake. And then, but often there's like a linchpin or a keystone and, you know, with human structures, like, you know, like a royal family or the idea of a, a you know, a dynasty, you often have a, a, a figure or a person who is that like keystone, um, which makes the arch stable, right? Or the, you know, the, the cornerstone, which holds up the, the, the structural integrity of the building. Yeah, yeah for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but then things did become very like Game of Thrones all of a sudden, where we're talking about like succession and who's taking over next and everything else. There was even like a Game of Thrones, like succession family tree of like Queen Elizabeth's corgis. And there was like a whole line of like all the corgis that she had at different points in her life. It was kind of weird and kind of funny. Um, here's a diagram of it. Chris, I think <laughs> you might be spending too much time online. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is just like the stuff that comes across my, my desk here on Twitter as I try to keep up to date with current events is she was given a corgi on her 18th birthday, and then there's a whole like family line through her life. Anyway, so what does it say about the British royal family that um, their animal of choice is corgis? It's quite the contrast to the Targaryen dragon. If we're going to keep making that relationship happen, uh, yeah. <laughs> can I make a joke about inbreeding? No, oh, no. <laughs> All right. Um, so. Let's see. Any other review stories um, from the past month before we we get into October? Were there any other major news stories that we're overlooking? I mean, I know. Well, we'll save yeah. that economy. I mean, go ahead. Well, yeah. Well, there's the Russo-Ukrainian war. Um, you know, huge developments, and so Mars and Gemini. Um, I don't remember whether I said this. Um, with you last, last month, Chris, or if it was, I was talking with some of my students, but you know, part of the essence of Mars and Gemini is that it's Mars as, as trickster, right? It's speed and, um, and capacity for deception that, <clears throat> that decides conflicts in when Mars and Gemini is in town and the recent extremely successful um, uh, offensive uh, by the Ukrainian forces had both of these hallmarks exactly. Um, there was a massive, we can call it a feint, that the the uh, towards the south, and there was a commitment of forces uh, towards the southern front, and all of the media, quite intentionally, um, by the <clears throat> um, by Ukrainian forces, was focused on oh, our southern offensive is going to be so badass and all that, and then the real offensive came in the northeast. And um, there, you know, there were not sufficient Russian forces there, and so Ukrainian forces just smashed through a line after line after line and took back 
Um, it was the largest sort of taking back of territory by Ukrainian forces that's happened so far in this conflict. And it just, it had um, the two, you know, it was literally Mars and Gemini. Like you think righty's coming, but actually it's lefty, right? Like it's, it was literally a massive and very successful coordinated feint. And so you have the trickery um, and then you also have speed, right? Um, the, <clears throat> the Ukrainian forces very effectively exploited the fact that the, um, <clears throat> that the Russian forces in the Northeast were not fully ready um, and so instead of just, you know, smashing through the first couple lines and then taking territory and then resetting, they just went as fast as they could and took huge amounts of territory. Um, and this is where speed and destructive power or, you know, military force um, become one. Whereas if they had exactly the same number of tanks and men and bazookas and all that, um, but had gone slower, then they would have given the opponent time to reset and it would have, you would have had a different result. And that's something that's been echoing for me in a lot of different ways is the relationship between speed and destructive power. That seems like very signature uh, Mars and Gemini. Yeah. Well, and then, um, you know, shortly recently in the past couple of days, then Putin has now mobilizing the country of Russia for a much larger war. So one of the tricky things about that and, and what you're just mentioning is the fact that Mars is in its shadow period right now, but it's going to retrograde at the end of October and it's going to come back to these degrees. So some of the actions and the events that have happened now in September uh, are going to be revisited in the future as Mars uh, does a U-turn and like comes back to see what the, the ramifications are of some of those actions from the past. A hundred percent, right? Because it looks, um, you know, if you'd like the Ukrainians to retake their land, which I do, um, it looks good. You're like, oh, that's great. But it would be extremely naive to say, okay, well now, now the tide has turned and you know, now they're, now it's going to go this way when we know Mars is right. Not only going to revisit the same degree, but twice, mm -hmm. right? Like it's literally going to go back over this twice. So it's like, oh, good, nice, you know, nice, uh, nice move. But like dot, 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 like there's obvious Mars obviously has much more, um, there's much more to come in exactly the same area. Mm -hmm. It's a first pass, but it's far from the only pass. Yeah. And that's one of the hallmarks of all retrogrades is um, returning back to something sometimes with Mercury retrogrades. Sometimes it's returning back to, you know, paperwork or in the instance um, of that guy that was freed from jail, like the reversal of a decision. But when it comes to to Mars, sometimes that can be returning back to, uh, you know, aggression or, or acts of war or things like that and, um, seeing, yeah. So we'll see how that develops over the course of this winter as Mars turns retrograde at the end of October and then returns. Um, other news in Mexico on September 19th, there was a major earthquake and interestingly, it took place on the anniversary, the exact same day of two other major earthquakes, one from 1985 and one from 2017. So um, there's something going on there in terms of the astrology and in terms of that date. Um, you know, one of the most regular things in terms of dates is the sun will return back to the exact position that it was um, on certain days of the year in 12 month increments. So it's possible that like the sun is hitting something in some underlying birth chart for Mexico. I don't know if either of you looked into that to see what's going on there. No, I, am... I haven't. 
looking to see if there's a chart right now. Are you looking for a chart for Mexico or are you looking for a chart for those specific events? I'm looking at a chart for Mexico. Okay, so this, and again, this is just on the fly. Um, it's giving the, the solar return um, for September 16th, 1810, where that's, that's, the, that's where it's giving the, 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 mm. the nation's birth. So that it's shortly after the solar return. Okay. So yeah, I mean, so that's a whole thing, but that's sometimes an interesting question where sometimes people have things like that of certain anniversaries where certain either positive or negative repetitions happen in their life or just certain dates that for some reason, even certain parts of the year, like there's some people that have like a really difficult time in like early August, or there's other people that have a really positive time you know, around other parts of the year, certain months. And it's always interesting to track that and see what the reason for that is in a given either birth chart, especially, but also sometimes in inception charts or other mundane charts. Yeah, definitely. My, um, so my dad, some years ago said to me like, well, also I'm not sure about all this astrology stuff, but I can tell you that almost all of the important things that have ever happened to me are like end of May, and then on into June, and he has five mm. planets in Gemini. Oh, wow. So, mm. right, that's the sun hitting more than half of the chart every year. I was like, yeah, dad, because you got the, you know, you got your moon and your Saturn and your Uranus and the Mercury right. and the Venus. But yeah, that like, like that's something you can, you can note even without a chart. One thing that I am noticing as I, like I just stacked the three, these three September 19ths, um, is that for the first two, Mars is in Virgo, and then for this last one, Mars is in Gemini, basically aspecting that same place in the in Virgo. Hmm. Okay, so something sensi- sensitive in mutable signs, then. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay, but that's just a quick glance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I hope everyone's okay there. Um, all right. Other news stories. The only other news story is I saw this thing as part of the ongoing. Jupiter-Neptune conjunction, um, which happened really earlier this year in Pisces, but there was some important stuff that we knew was started back then, but we couldn't fully see it yet. But I'm starting to see the emergence more and more of the importance of these artificially generated images and different websites that are being set up for this. But there was this one news story really recently, um, and it was in Ars Technia, and the title was Artists Begin Selling AI-Generated Artwork on Stock Photography Sites. So some of these um, sort of websites where you can just like generate um, images out of a prompt by just like typing. And what's funny and why I think it's tied with Jupiter and Neptune in addition to the symbolism is that in one of them you type uh, forward slash imagine, and then you like write out a scenario, and then the computer will take those concepts and like meld them together into a single one. So um, it's starting to cause some issues though with people submitting some of these artistic creations or these computer generated creations for competitions and like art shows. And I think there was one that won an art show recently, which caused some controversy and some, some debates about like what is true artwork. And now it's also causing some debates about whether this will put certain artists like out of work or, or sort of decimate this entire in- industry of people that make stock photography for different sites that you can purchase. Um, and a lot of interesting questions like that. Um, as for myself, I've been playing with it and entering in some prompts, like my latest prompt I'm trying to get, I need some more refining, but it's um, Austin Kopic riding a peacock of war 
And this is this is what I got so far, Austin. I don't think there's enough images right now for uh, the website. You don't have enough images like online in order for it to fully picture you. So I'm gonna have to keep working on this. But these are some of the images so far are looking looking pretty good. I have to say, like the peacock is looking a little weird. But if you were to ride a peacock, I do feel like this would be pretty it's close the to the terrifying like vibe that you would you would have give off in some way. Really needs more tail though. Not enough tail. It's true. Well, I thank you, Chris. I I'll probably have to change one of my profile pictures to that. All mm-hmm. right this this one's one of my favorites. This big one. Yeah. Yeah, it has almost like a heron's head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's struggling sometimes. There's a little little turkeyish at this point. I have to say some of them, but um, that's all right. I'll keep I'll keep working on it. Peacocks are basically beautiful turkeys, and they will integrate into turkey flocks. So hundred percent. Okay. We have wild we have wild turkey. We have a flock of wild turkeys in the yard. And They're so, so aggro. They're so aggro. Um, uh, what I was gonna say is like the the Jupiter Neptune combination is reminding me of like the aniline dyes thing from like the last Jupiter Neptune in Pisces and like how that allowed for like manufacturing and colors mm. um, in a whole different way. And then it turns out that a lot of those manufacturing processes are toxic. And so I'm really curious to see how um, like this AI art thing, like how that translates into helpfulness versus toxicity in terms of like art production and what is the significance of art? Like those sorts of questions I think are, they're already in the ether, but I feel like, um, I don't know, like something about, um, it's like when you're regulating something because it's physically toxic, what does it mean to regulate something because it's um, culturally sus? Yeah. Mm. Or a cognitive hazard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it, um, you know, the issue with Neptune often is that you can't tell the difference between what's real and what's fake. And that's increasingly going to be cut, come an, an issue here. I can see immediately of like being able to generate images where in some instances it's not fully there yet, but you might not be able to distinguish between one that was computer generated versus like what's a real image. Mm-hmm. As well as like, what is authorship? Like if all art can be theoretically considered to be some level of pastiche, does it become an issue when it's a computer that is making those pastiches or like those uh, sort of collages? Yeah, well, and that's actually being debated right now because there's nothing on the law books. And so some mm-hmm. people are saying the copyright belongs to the human that input uh, the things that generated the image. But other people are actually saying that the computer itself, the AI itself, should actually have ownership or copyright over the image, which is really interesting getting into some like nebulous territory in terms of the emergence of AI and everything like that over the mm-hmm. course of the next few decades or century, potentially. Yeah. yeah. Who counts well, and, as a person. And and that sort of right. jumps us ahead to one of the significant things at the end of the month, which is Jupiter returning to Pisces um, and really giving us the beginning, uh, beginning that second round of Jupiter Neptune in Pisces energy where we have, you know, bubbles of, it's not illusion or, you know, illusion is, illusion is a really simple thing because you know, it's fake. It's, you know, with Neptune, you're really riding the line, right? Like, is it art or isn't it? I don't know. As an aesthetic object, it mm-hmm. it's an aesthetic object, right? Is it this? Is it that? Like, you know, Neptune's really that undecided place. And so that's, you know, we're, we're just in time to sort of come back to that 
Mm-hmm. That's surreality. I really liked um, Lisa Scheim tweeted something about hopium as like a portmanteau for the Jupiter-Neptune like re-entering into co-presence. Um, like both, I feel like that's applicable to this like AI art. Like a lot of people are really excited about it, um, but also a whole bunch of other things where it's just like, if we think po- enough positive thoughts, maybe it'll be amazing kind of thing. Right, where right. where hopium um, bleeds into copium. Mm, yeah, yeah. And it's funny because there's a bunch of like painters and artists that are like terrified of it, mm-hmm. of just like the potential for it at the same time. Um, yeah, so that's a thing. So that, that's a good point that Jupiter is going to retrograde. That's one of our signatures at the very end of the month back into Pisces. So this is stuff that we're probably going to be talking about more and more intensely um, over the course of the next couple of months as we get the final pass of that planet in Pisces. So um, any other news stories before I think we're already like getting into October? So should we make the transition into talking about next month? One last news story that I think is worth pointing out because it does seem to tie into the ongoing um, Saturn-Uranus square which is the situation in Puerto Rico right now after this recent hurricane and that meaning that there's no power in Puerto Rico right now. And it's like I'm reminded of what happened in Texas over the winter and it's like no power, like the power grid's failing because of in part um, like natural disasters intersecting with infrastructure uh, not being what it should be. So even going back to that, like, you know, you take a certain kind of structure for granted but then there's a stress test and there's a realization that that structure is not as robust as it uh, ostensibly should be. It's not up to up to snuff for current pressures. Yeah, totally. And also, uh, how should we say, um, so from what I understand about uh, the, the power grid in Puerto Rico, um, you know, there were stress tests several years ago and mm-hmm. it failed and then no money got put into strengthening it. And yeah. so that's another like that's another thing is there 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 can also be like known fragilities which mm-hmm. as long as thing as long as things go just fine then they'll be fine but as soon as there's stress which there always will be mm-hmm. um then they fall apart again. Right? And yeah. It's like that that like the 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 poorly maintained infrastructure or non-upgraded, non-repaired, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mhm. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just, it's heartbreaking uh, to see like the, the consequences of not getting, uh, I always forget, am I allowed to cuss on this? Go, go nuts. Okay. Yeah. It was just like not getting shit together um, and like kind of murderous negligence as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Good phrase. Yeah. That's a really good phrase. So this is the. Um, and that's probably a good way to center the opening of the month since this is pretty much um, where we're at at October 1st with that Saturn-Uranus square being within a degree at this point and Saturn being at 18 degrees of Aquarius and Uranus being at 18 degrees of Taurus. Um, so that's super close at this point and we'll probably see a continuation of similar things in terms of stress tests, which sometimes is like the rumbling of the foundations of something, but if the foundations are relatively strong, it holds up. But if they are not strong, then in some instances, things will potentially fall apart or the ground can kind of fall out underneath you. Um, Saturn being the foundation and Uranus being the sudden 
jolt or the sudden disruption that sort of comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know we want to move forward, but because we're already talking about f- like floody stuff, it's like the floods in Pakistan. Um, also, I feel like are um, of a similar similar category. Mm, yeah, uh, which is just massive, massive flooding that's like displaced mil- millions, like millions of people, millions of people, and there's basically it looks like there's a new inland sea, right. Yeah, that is uh, crazy and tragic and also very like sudden and like random and kind of out of nowhere and very Iranian to have something like that happen um, and just just completely change the landscape like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I think that sets us that sets us up then for going into October because we've got a pretty big month. There's a lot of major astrological things starting to fall into place in October especially later in the month. So why don't we make the transition to uh, getting getting into that now? All right. So really quickly here again uh, for the video viewers is the calendar. And we're going to start out talking about at the beginning of the month, the, the thing that happens right away on the very second day of October, which is um, Mercury has retrograded back into Virgo and it will station direct on October 2nd at about uh, 24 degrees of Virgo. And this is an interesting placement, of course, because this is almost within a degree exactly opposite to Neptune now, which is at 23 degrees of Pisces. So we open the month with Mercury stationing direct in Virgo, which is normally supposed to be sort of a clarifying or moving forward or grounding type uh, in terms of communications energy. But for some reason, we have this uh, mysterious, um, elusive kind of energy opposing Mercury at the same time. And if that wasn't enough, we also have Mars squaring Mercury from 20 degrees of Gemini at the same time, which is more of a combative or tense uh, energy as well. Mm-hmm. Plus the trine with Pluto, I think is really interesting too. Mm, okay. Yeah. Trine from Pluto at 26 degrees of Capricorn to Mercury at 24. So um, what are some of our keywords for that Mercury station at the beginning of the month? It's like moving forward, but not quite with full clarity yet, maybe for the first week or so until Mercury gets out of Virgo and moves into Libra. Mm, well, so there's uh, with its stationing and its exaltation, there is absolute like the motive um, is to obtain clarity and ideally like factual clarity um, about about very nebulous things or about things that have been uh, obscured or undecided, right? Like Neptune is that like obscuring, um, ambivalent, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Um, and so it's Mercury staring right at that Neptune and trying to, you know, trying to, to, to get the facts or trying to um, uh, extract and dry out what can be extracted. Um, and then we also have with Mercury, Mercury is not only configured to Mars, but is also uh, ruling Mars, right? So we're also attempting to, we're at least, Mercury is at least desiring um, to get clarity about the ordering of conflicts, right? Like about like, okay, so what is, or, you know, conflicts or just like, you know, Mars, some things Mars is like literal conflicts. 
But a lot of times Mars is just like, uh, especially in an air sign, it's just the storm of all the stuff that's happening that you need to do or that's that you're getting pulled to do. Um, but Mercury is um, trying very hard and has in some ways an ideal uh, is coming at it from an, you know, uh, from the, you know, uh, like an ideal, like, no, we're going to get perfect clarity. We're going to get all this figured out. Um, and that, you know, that'll be hampered by the Neptune, especially. Um, but that's at least the attempt, right? And that I think that's going to be the vibe. Yeah. Kind of the the vibe I'm getting from it is sort of like, it's like oneromancy, like trying to scry in clouds, right? Or maybe even trying to like get fog, like contained enough to be able to see what shapes it's taking on. And from those shapes to derive meaning, like there's a kind of like, what is the form of... um What's the form of divination that actually ends up being functional? Like, how do you see into the meaning of something? Mm, mm -hmm. But it's also like, how do you interpret the words of the Delphic Oracle, who's just like high on fumes and saying nonsense, but it's nonsense that's significant if you know how to interpret it. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's a, right. And even like with every form of divination, you know, fire divination or hydromancy by water or by cloud, like there, if you look at old texts there, there, it's actually very mercury and virgo it's mm -hmm. like okay and so if the flame you know if the flame tends slightly to the right and there's this color three quarters the way up the flame then that means this or you know like if there's if there are spiraling swirls in the cloud that means this uh i like that yeah mm -hmm. like the the not not like an intuitive divination but like a very attempting to be precise in reading something that doesn't speak a language easily translated. Yeah. I'm even thinking about dream horary interpretation here, right? Yeah, Where it's yeah. just like, what are the rules that lead to making sense of um, like going to the grocery store with Madonna and like Barack Obama and you can't find the cheese, right? Like you cast right. a dream horary and maybe you get meaning out of what, uh, otherwise would be nonsense. Oh, God, but it's God. like there's an there's an urgency to it. Like the Mars and Gemini, I feel like there's an urgency, and maybe also like how do you sift the noise out so that you can see what actually matters? It's like there's a bunch of chitter chatter, like birds. There's birds singing, and you're like, I'm not doing bird divination right now. I'm trying to do this other form of meaning making. But you got to get the birds to shut up first. Right. What does what does the cheese mean? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Is it manchego or cheddar? <laughs> right. That's a big difference. I think the chatter is really important because the the Mars in Gemini has been creating a lot of noise, right? And you know, uh, any any form of divination is separating the signal from the noise and then interpreting the signal, and um, you know, <clears throat> in a weirdly on the nose way, I've been having my I've been having Mars has been in my twelfth. Uh, in Gemini. And so I've been having just garbage dreams where it's just all noise. Sometimes it's entertaining noise and I wake up, I'm like, okay, let's, oh, this doesn't mean anything. Um, yeah, I had a dream, I think right after Mars entered Gemini that Kate was really, Kate had sent out like a, a, a panicked bulletin, uh, to her mailing list, um, because she was really concerned about the dervish community within, within astrologers. And then had like this sort of sad retrospective of astrologers, like a, like a, 
like a, almost a Sally Struthers thing. And I was like, what is Kate doing? Why is she, what's, what's, what's going on with the, the, the dervish community within astrology? And I was like, what does that mean? I was like, I don't know. I think it's literally just Mercury and Ge- or Mars and Gemini noise. No offense, you know, to any uh, astrologers who are dervishes. It just, you know, <laughs> strange. And I, all I could get from that, I was like, oh, I think I'm just picking up Mars and Gemini. Like, you know, the, 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 the notable practice of a dervish is to spin, right? And that's so Mars and Gemini, you know, that like that spinning the air um, to the point that it's destructive, right? Like that's what storm, that's what hurricanes are. That's what tornadoes are like to get, uh, to get air to its optimal destructive, or in the case of like the dervish practice, like optimally spiritual, right? Where you've got one, one point of stillness in the middle of it. Um, but otherwise like air, when you spin it, it becomes destructive, right? This was reminding me of what we were talking about earlier, like before we started recording of, um, once you get enough movement or enough potency, enough noise, then stillness can kind of come in. I'm even thinking about um, like white noise machines. You know, mm. like at what point mm-hmm. do you maybe just actually need to turn the volume up on the white noise so that the signal can be discerned versus trying to turn the white noise down and not being able to because it's Mars and Gemini. That makes sense. Um, so speaking of that and Mercury stationing direct in Virgo, I just released the Virgo episode in my series on the signs of the Zodiac yesterday. And that might be a good occasion to just mention really briefly, since Mercury is going to be in Virgo in this first week of the month, what are some of the significations that the two of you are keywords that each of you associate with Virgo? Pens. Pens? Penmanship? Uh, notebooks. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Writing. Writing. Um, I remember, I feel like this was a few years ago during Mercury and Virgo, like everybody was sharing little videos of how they write the glyphs on oh, Twitter, yeah. right? Like that feels like a very Virgo thing. Mm-hmm. Um, discernment, um, spreadsheets. Yeah. Numbers. Putting things in order was one of the major mm-hmm. things that we came up with during the course of that episode is like a Virgo overarching archetype is the the tendency or the desire to order things and arrange them in a certain fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think in terms of thinking about the world, um, Mercury and Virgo is a, especially in this configuration is a strong call to return to what facts you have and to, a, to abandon the narratives, at least temporarily and mm. go back to the facts and then see what patterns are there rather than getting the rather than just assuming rather than just like throwing the the little fact pebbles into you know like a water bucket of of narrative but like mm-hmm. drying it all out and be like okay what is the actual pattern between these uh between mm-hmm. all these things before reconstituting a narrative yeah i feel like there's something about um seeing the structure that's there rather than imposing structure upon something that might not be ready to be structured yet yeah. Um, and I'm reminded, uh, Cam Allen at Norwalk this year presented a lecture on embodied astrology. And one of the things that I really liked that he shared, it resonates with something I talk about with my Virgo clients or Virgo risings, especially, um, which is like Virgo's push towards perfection, which in a less useful form is attempting to create perfection but in a more useful form is attempting to perceive the perfection that is already there 
and allow that perfection to come through. So it's like really good editing is not about changing everything that's been written, but allowing the sharp part of what's written to really sing. Right. Um, and so especially thinking about this period of Virgo, like Mercury in Virgo opposite Neptune, it's like, this seems imperfect. It feels intangible. It's not coherent enough, but can I see the way in which this has purpose and function in its own way? And then can I imply that? Can I enact that maybe through Mars um, in potentially quite uh, profound ways if we look at the trine to Pluto? Mm. Yeah, because there's a, a depth and like you said, like a profundity to that trine with Pluto and Mercury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, like there's it makes me think of um a sub, the subtractive method of working in sculpture where mm-hmm. you see you're like oh this stone wants to look like an elephant mm-hmm. and so you remove all of the you remove everything that's keeping it from perfectly resembling an elephant. Yeah. There's this um I'm going to have to send you a link or something later but there's this incredible wood carver uh on I I know him from Instagram but he makes these like epic wooden spoons they're just they're amazing but he'll talk about wood carving it's just like this one wanted to be you know three foxes leaping around each other um and his job was just to remove the wood that was in the way of the foxes nice i love that because that's such a i was watching somebody who used like a chainsaw recently to like carve out in a log like a sloth or something and Mm. There's no really like rooms for mistakes with that because you just have like what you work with and you start cutting things away from it. But if you kind of like mess up, you can't like go back or like erase it or something like that. Or it's kind of hard to. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the Mars and Gemini there. It's like how do you make how do you call how do you uh, maybe we can even think about the Saturn uh, Saturn trying to Mars within that little configuration of mm. you know Saturn's like cool your jets but here's your here's your chainsaw. That's yeah. So this makes me think of a friend that I had back in college who um, had a lot of Virgo placements and who I worked with on the school paper. He was the uh, the layout editor and he was, um, let's just say, uh, perfectionistic to the point that it took him four times as long as it should have to lay out the paper. And I was um, sort of making fun of him. Uh, Cause he also liked carpentry and I was talking about like him sanding a table leg um, and it just wasn't right. And it wasn't right. And just sanding it until he, it broke. Um, and he like kind of blushed and looked sheepish and he's like, I've actually done that. <laughs> right. So that the, the subtractive method <laughs> has its own dangers. Yeah. Um, speaking of subtractive method, I had this like period, I forgot to mention the last forecast when like Mars is going through my fourth and I just had this sudden urge to just like get rid of a bunch of things that were kind of cluttering up my home and living situation. And it was a really distinct, uh, vivid example of um, the positive function of Mars sometimes in subtracting or taking away things, but how that can sometimes be a necessary process, the the cutting away or the getting rid of, or sometimes even like the burning away of things, um, as like a almost like purifying or simplifying process. So that might be good to keep in mind because there's going to be some of that tendency here. We're talking a lot about the Mars Neptune opposition, and Mercury is going to want to be moving forward and trying to fix or rectify um, some some things where there were potential issues or where things may have gone awry with certain projects. 
It's still going to be moving slow for the first week, so that might be a slow process moving forward, and there may be some nebulousness to it. But you also have that Mars element, so we have to bring in um, also the potential for um, some some conflict or some stresses or tensions as part of that process at the same time that are being imposed on Mercury in some way. And um, sometimes that can be kind of a, or it seems like that can be kind of a stressful process for that first week until Mercury gets clear of Virgo and moves into Libra. Okay. Well, if we're, you know, if we're doing this sort of subtractive method with a chainsaw, um, Mercury, Mars, we're, we're doing that in the Neptune cloud, right? Mm -hmm. And right. Chainsaws and Neptune are not the best combination. Yeah, it's like putting a blind blindfold on and then wielding a chainsaw. Yeah, and so in the comments, uh, Timothy um, cited the old axiom, measure twice, cut once. I think mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. exactly it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to say the image that was coming to mind while you were speaking, Chris, is uh, like trying to weed or like take down a tree from a bog, right? Like trying to remove a dead tree from like a swamp but it's like really mucky and there's also mm. lots of mosquitoes like right how do you how do you get through that kind of frustration like that's mm. like the mosquitoes being mars and gemini like get the fuck out of my way i'm trying to do something here and also you couldn't be doing it faster because like the mud is sucking at your boots yeah exactly and sometimes you just have to go at that pace and take mm -hmm. one step at a time and deal with the stings of the little things that are coming up, trying to, you know, attack you or slow you down in the process, which could be mosquitoes or it could be like people or comments or like social media or something like that. Because there's a, yeah, texts or, or tech issues. Because uh, especially the Mercury and Gemini and some of the significations, we've started to see some, some of that coming up as, as Mars has been moving it through its shadow which had actually just started, it went into on September 3rd when it passed over eight degrees of Gemini because that's the degree that it will later retrograde back to. Um, and I actually had a graphic I wanted to show for that, uh, which just shows the pre-retrograde shadow dates once it passed eight degrees of Gemini in early September. Then when the Mercury retrograde or the Mars retrograde will station on October 30th, eventually end on January 12th, and then eventually Mars will leave its post retrograde shadow period on March 15th. So it's just this whole process, but this process really ramps up this month and some of the Mars in Gemini significations that we've been seeing over the past month since early September are probably going to only become more prominent here in the near future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, that is the Mercury retrograde, which stations direct on the second of the month. Um, speaking of that, we also have Pluto stationing retrograde in Capricorn. And I know, Diana, that you already mentioned Pluto and how it's configured with Mercury. So it's interesting that we have that sort of mm -hmm. elongated trine between those two planets um, yeah. this month and that that's actually going to be intensified as Pluto stations retrograde. Yeah. And actually that trine goes exact on the sixth, right? So like while both Mercury and Pluto are in these like slow states, there is an exact trine between them. The first one of these trines in this shape, at least like in this configuration, happened on August 22nd or August 2nd. I don't I can't read my notes right now. Um, and then the second one happened on September 27th. So by the time this happens in October, it's going to be the three like the third of three trines between them. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you're right. August 22nd 
it looks like was the first one at 26 Virgo to 26 Cap Capricorn. Mm -hmm. um, so Mercury-Pluto stuff, we've seen some of that over the past couple of years. Mercury-Pluto combinations, especially hard ones, being things like disclosures, um, having like information that was behind the scenes, having it come out, but also just like a, the deep desire to like get to the bottom of things or get to the the truth of something or the or the bottom, the hidden part of something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's an energy that's definitely going to be intensified around October seventh. Um, by that point, Mercury will finally be getting not fully clear, but a little bit clear of that opposition with Neptune. So might want to be still a little careful that in the process or the quest to find the truth or get to the bottom of something that there's not something else that's still obscuring your vision or your ability to see things clearly watch out for projections mm, that's a good one yeah projections especially oppositions have that tendency to bring in like the other and um not just in other people but in like othering of things just um, as a natural part of that aspect. So projection would be actually a really good um, example or manifestation of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, All and right. someone's making note. It's like it, Pluto will be stationing direct, not retrograde. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. I was, I was actually wondering about that in the graphic because I know I keep I ju uh, just at the electional charts for next year and Pluto's going to be in Aquarius early next year. And that's a huge, huge shift. But that mm -hmm. means yeah, that makes sense. So this is the final station, at least before it moves into Aquarius early next year. Yeah, although it is, it's back and forth between uh, Capricorn and Aquarius for a couple years. It's not a final move. It's the beginning of a slow back and forth. It's like I moved some of my stuff last month, and I'm going to move the rest of my stuff in yeah. like six months, and then the month after that, I'll go empty out my storage unit, and <laughs> it's a process. Yeah, but it's like, uh, you know, you're the person with the house and you're like, I actually didn't agree to this relationship and I don't know why you're moving your stuff into my place. That's me with Aquarius rising and Pluto like saying they're moving their stuff in over the next two decades. You can handle it, Chris. Okay. As somebody we'll who's see. handled it for their right. entire adult life, I, I think you can handle yeah. it. Yeah, as the Capricorn rising. Okay, so you, all right, I'll oh, give Chris, you a break. You're, you're just going to become goth. <laughs> right. <laughs> become yeah, yeah, you're just gonna you're gonna have like the the coal um, black eye makeup and start wearing corpse paint. Yeah, you'll get paler. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're saying I'm gonna my usual like effervescent self and personality that I'm gonna have to tone that down a little bit for the next decade. You might switch from champagne to like fernet, you know. <laughs> mm. All right, I'll see. I'll see what I can do. So uh, going, you have another. Joke? I mean, a Astro Goth seems like a legitimate like subculture of goth i mean there are like 10 different kinds i feel like astrogoth yeah. is really waiting for you chris yeah i mean yeah. i've been astrogoth on the inside the whole time but on the inside yeah, yeah that's you true. know it leaks out sometimes <laughs> but yeah. i mean the pe peacocks behind you have definitely like lightened the mood over the past month or two i have to say that you know, i'm trying to throw people off the trail all right. So going back to the calendar, let's talk about our first lunation of the month, which is this full moon in the sign of Aries, which takes place on the 9th of October. So let me show the chart for that. There it is. The sun will be at about 16 degrees of Libra, and the moon will oppose it from 16 degrees of Aries. And one of the interesting things about this full moon is it's going to be one of the last 
full moons um, in Aries that isn't an eclipse for a while because we're going to start switching over next year. The nodes are going to shift into Libra and Aries, and we're going to start getting eclipses in that axis like pretty quick here, which is kind of surprising how soon that's coming up. Yeah, it's actually really cool. In Aries season, there's an uneclipsed new moon in Aries, and then there's an eclipsed new moon in Aries, and it's all in the same Aries season. Like, mm. that's really that's, cool. That's in the future, but yeah, I'm actually really, uh, really excited about it. So, yeah, so we'll get a, a double lunation in that month, and then mm -hmm. one of them is going to be an eclipse. Yeah, wild. Okay. Um, so this one, before we get into eclipses, I mean, it's got some nice benefic action going on. Venus is right there at 13 degrees of Libra conjoining the sun at 16 and Jupiter still co-present with the moon in the sign of Aries at one degree of Aries. So, um, that's a little positive in terms of lunations compared to some of the other more heavy lunations this year, or even the ones later this month. And especially in November where we've got much more um, either outer planet action with Uranus going on or like hard aspects with Mars and Saturn and different things like that. Mm -hmm. This one is also interesting because not only is it um, an aspectual relationship with Venus and Jupiter, it's also an aspect to Saturn and Mars. Like it splits the trine between them. So it's mm. sextile, both malefics. Yeah, so it's got flowing aspects of a sextile with Saturn and a sextile with Mars and the full moon is actually ruled by that Mars which is slowing down at this point to station retrograde in Gemini at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. So uh, how do you feel about this lunation, Austin? Are you feeling positive things? It's looking a little bit light compared to other ones this year? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's about as good as we're going to get for the rest of this year, or better than we're going to get. Yeah, the, um, the, the moon and the sun both being co-present with benefics is really nice. Um, and we should maybe talk a little bit about Venus and the sun as a separate topic because they travel mm -hmm. together for most of the month. But, um, you know, that, that double benefic action with the sun and the moon, but in aspect to Saturn and Mars, but, you know, soft aspect is, I don't know, you know, it's about as good, I was going to say, it's about as good an opportunity to, um, I should say, equilibrate your relationship your relationship to the ongoing pressures and pushes like they're there they're in aspect um but you know that you can see them from the point you know uh, in the light of the full moon but like from a workable angle in mm -hmm. all cases and so you know um i i would say as I, i've said before like this is this is a good <clears throat> this lunation and the days surround the days following it are a really good chance to kind of get things in as much uh, order and, uh, you know, obtain as much balance as possible because what we're going into over the next month is pretty destabilizing. And so, you know, you can't, you can't necessarily do challenges in advance, but you can set yourself up so that things are at least as together as they can be, right? The, the, the hatches can be, can be battened down. You can at least like remember to wear underwear to the stressful interview. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the image that was coming to mind for me is like it's it feels like a harmonizing and a tuning, but it's like mm. before a big something, right? So it's like I don't know. I used to I used to be a chamber musician back in the day. I used to play cello, and so you know before 
big performance of some kind. It's like you get your final opportunity to like iron out um, any kinks in transitions or like volume balance issues, as well as the actual tuning of the instruments. Um, and that moment of just like, we're all on the same page. We're all sufficiently prepared for this. Also, like what if one of our strings breaks or somebody's bow like dis like dissolves, right? Like, you know, that's always a possibility, but this is like that tuning moment. And maybe, you know, it's like looking at the upcoming eclipse season. Part of that preparation is having the backup bow, having backup strings, maybe even having a backup instrument um, so that whenever you get to like the wedding venue, you're not completely fucked. That's a really good image. Yeah. Um, one of the things, since this is a full moon in Aries that we've talked about a lot this year and that I've seen come more to the forefront with Aries is just speed and quickness and a desire for things to move fast and be to, like straight into the point, somewhat to the point, sometimes to the extent of being like overly abrupt or um, being sort of coarse or, or other keywords like that. But um, having a full moon where things are kind of culminating and the moon is re reaching the peak of its light at, in Aries um, just reminds me of that idea of things, the, the pace of things quickening up and starting to move faster at this point from October 9th forward. Yeah, and I, th I think it's um, for those whose spirits have been diminished by recent months or, or recent years. Um, you know, it's uh, with that, the moon there in the middle decan and with Jupiter in the same sign. There's really um, a, a sort of courageous and upright and, um, I don't know, uh, uh, virile or energized sort of quality to it. Like it's energized, but in a very upright, like you can do this and you can do this uh, in a way that accords with your ideals. Um, that middle decan of, uh, of Aries, uh, you can see a... You can see a face of that in the three of wands, which is the, you see the back of the person holding the wand, like looking out and it has to do with, it has to do with doing things in a way that you'll be proud of and in a way that inspires others. Um, but through example, rather than through words. Um, and I don't know, I think a little, little shot of that might be nice because one of the things that I, um, I wanted to talk about with this month that's really a lot of the month that um this full moon pings and intrudes upon in a good way um is that we have um a lot of air like there's a very strong elemental dominance of air throughout much of the month um we have venus and the sun for the first three weeks in libra mars is in gemini the whole time saturn's in aquarius the whole time and i believe it's the day after the full moon uh, we get Mercury in Libra. And so we have a minimum of four of the seven visible planets. And then the moon, whenever it's in an air sign, that brings it to five out of seven. And then when Mercury is uh, in Libra and the moon's in an air sign, then it's six out of seven visible planets in air signs. <clears throat> and that that dominance of one particular element, I think, gives us uh, how should we say, uh, give, gives us um, a lot to think about in terms of what does the environment look like and how does it feel? Because the elements all have very definite patterns, right? There's the, there's the like hot and cold, wet and dry, but you know, air is very centrifugal. Um, we talked about air spinning, air scatters things, right? If you leave, if you've ever raked leaves in the fall and then a gust of wind, the gust, gust of wind will never 
collect the leaves into a perfect pile, right? It's scattering and centrifugal. And especially with two of those planets uh, in air science the whole month being in air, right? We're looking at a more destructive air with them being malefics. Um, and like uh, just on a mental level, like the I, I've felt the Mars and Gemini threatened to like scatter my priorities, scatter my thoughts. And I've a uh, number of other people I've talked to have had this where it's like there are 50 things going on and you get pulled in every direction. And so and it, it um, the air, the scattering also seems to flatten priorities. So you can't remember what was the important thing. You just have 50 things and you're sort of dashing from one to another and um you know the we're, we're where we're going in october is just more and more of that right and so navigating this like high wind gusty environment seems like an important thing to contemplate yeah and this is actually reminding me one of the cool things about libra season this year kind of like aries season next year is bookended by two new moons this libra season is booked bookended by kazimis right so it begins with a mercury kazimi which if you're listening to the recording it already happened, probably. Um, it's about to happen if you're watching this live. Um, and then the end of Libra season is that Sun Venus Kazemi. And so thinking about the air dominance, but also thinking about that weight, that solar solar purification weight in Libra specifically, I think is really interesting in terms of like not just dispersal as in like things are scattered, but also dispersal in terms of hierarchies being um like flattened, like you just said, it's like what is actually important in terms of a priority structure. Um, but also maybe that's a worthwhile thing to be exploring if the things that have been priorities aren't genuine priorities, if we're thinking at thinking about it from the perspective of Libra. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the Kazemis because that ties back into what we we're talking about at the beginning, which is so you have rotating air which scatters mm -hmm. and destroys. But then you always you have the calm center. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what a Kazemi is, a planet exactly conjunct the sun. Like it's a calm moment. Mm -hmm. Whether it's in the middle of a retrograde or direct, it's still like a moment of deep centeredness for that planet. Yeah. So this brings up um so there's gonna be a tonal change later in the month when the sun and Venus pretty much simultaneously move into the sign of Scorpio on the 23rd, and that's when the month shifts and gets a lot more heavy around that time that weekend um, but before that time we have the sun and venus transiting through the sign of libra together and a pretty heavy like libra energy for most of the first three quarters of the month the first half of the month up to that point so i wanted to ask both of you about some significations for libra on the recent virgo episode one of the contrasts we came up with between virgo versus libra energy was um, the different choice or of styles between uh, Virgo energy is more like you know people that arrange their bookshelves according to um, you know subject or like the Dewey Decimal System or author or something some sort of like rational ordering system like that versus um, I recently saw somebody's library where they arranged it according to just like color and just the color of the book shelves or the book covers themselves so that there wasn't like a informational sort of desire to organize things but instead it was organized according to the aesthetics of how it looked basically and i think that's a very like libra energy type type thing yeah and I, I would add that i think that libra will leave 
the um, the ordering of the of the books on the bookshelf to Virgo, but instead be much more concerned about where the bookshelf is relative to the desk and relative to the door and relative to the lamp. And like the like what the relationship between all of those things and how that creates the room. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, spatial relationship is one of the things I definitely think about with Libra because like we're thinking about air, but we're also thinking about. Um, I mean, it's like balance is like the default keyword, but that's literally what it's about. It's like, does this have um, a balanced appearance? Like, is this going to be? Um, sufficiently cohesive for all of the parts that are playing into creating the whatever it is to do that in a way that is pleasing, right? Mm. So, you know, one of the things I think about Libra is constellations, right? Where, you know, we have Leo and it's the, so much of the focus is on the individual star. But with Libra, it's about how those individual stars are arranged relative to one another. What is their spatial relationship? towards the creation of something that is greater than the sum of parts. Yeah. It's definitely like gestalts or, or holes. Oh, and if, if you think about like a literal set of scales to get them to balance, they don't need to have exactly the same thing on each side, mm-hmm. right? You can be like, okay, well, I've got this, which weighs a pound. I've got this, which weighs a pound and a half. And I've got this, which weighs half a pound. Right. And that's, you know, balance. Uh, Gemini is more interested in symmetry um, whereas um, Libra is more interested in balanced asymmetry. Mm-hmm. Like symmetry is actually perfect. Symmetry is actually not what Libra is going for, but it's it's a balance of asymmetrical elements. Yeah, that's how I how I chose the art that is behind me on the wall. Things aren't identical, but they're balanced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Nice. Well, I would also add just that um, balance is an ideal or is a static state. Um, but in a, how should I say, in a dynamic world, it never holds. And that, um, Libra is more interested and spends much more time engaged in balancing as a verb Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, so, you know, you know, this, this other life through another, through another item on one side, what can I do to rebalance it? That, that that's an ongoing engaged process. Mm. rather than just like you get it balanced and there it is. Right. Mm. It reminds me of, you know, Libra is cardinal. So it's like the enacting of balance. It's not the fixity. And it's also not the, um, it's, it's not mutable in the, in the sense of um, like wishy-washy, which I think is one of the stereotypes that Libra gets. It's not wishy-washy from the perspective of can't make up its mind. It's wishy-washy in the sense of it's really hard to discern what the most balanced action is going to be, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it really is about that enacting of harmony, right? It's like you have to retune your instrument, right? Even like a dancer has to tune their body consistently Mm -hmm. in order to enact the dance, Um, that kind of thing. Yeah, after and before every performance. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you're both saying, it reminds me of, um, I don't know, you've seen those videos or those pictures of people that go into like a river and they find all these different sized rocks and then they balance them in different ways on top of each other. But sometimes the different rocks are, are widely different proportions, but somehow they find a way to make it all fit together and not topple over um, just through uh, time and effort and just um, focusing on that notion of finding the balance between dis- disparate objects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would say, like, 
um, back to what you were saying about the reputation for wishy-washy, uh, Diana, the, what, um, what I see with Libra is when they don't know how much everything weighs, they're like, but I can't do it yet. You, mm -hmm. you decide, or give me, you know, give me some information, mm -hmm. like the stereotypical thing being like, don't ask the Libra where all six of you should eat for dinner. Cause they, they would need to know exactly what everyone's tastes are and in what mood they're in. And if they had all of that, then they could do the perfect balance, but because they don't have all that information, it's, it's, it's an overload of variables and there's a, mm -hmm. there's a, like a circuit fry. Right. It's like executing a perfect dinner party because you know who everyone is you know what their dietary restrictions are. Like all of them are your best friends. So you also know, generally speaking, probably what they're going to be in the mood for with all of that information. Best dinner party you've ever gone to. But without that information, I mean, the, the restaurant, like the external restaurant is an uncontrolled variable. What if it's too loud? What if there's like, you know, screaming children? What if it's understaffed? What if the special is terrible, right? Like, that's not control, but like the dinner party is a container within which Libra can enact the creation of harmony. Mm. I like that really brings in the air, the social dynamic of Libra mm -hmm. in a really interesting way. Yeah. I know, I know a Libra who throws excellent dinner parties, mm -hmm. but doesn't like to pick the restaurant for people. So all of this is going to become much more prominent and important uh, around the time of that full moon, but especially the day after because uh, the day after Mercury departs from Virgo and enters back into Libra mm. after the retrograde on the 10th of October. So then we're going to have three planets transiting through Libra over the course of the next week, week and a half before the shift to Scorpio around the 23rd. Mm -hmm. So that might be a good time to mention the electional chart that we have for the month that Lisa Scheim and I picked out because it actually focuses on that stellium of planets in Libra and it makes it the focal point. So the electional chart for this month is set for October 17th, 2022, starting around six o'clock in the morning. So a bit before sunrise when the ascendant is around, let's say eight degrees of Libra. So what you'll end up with is a Libra rising chart with uh, Venus, the sun and Mercury in Libra in the first whole sign house. And Venus is um, in its own sign. It's in its domicile of Libra. And it's also of the sect in favor. It's the most benefic planet in the chart because this is a night chart. Uh, we've got the moon up there in Cancer in its own domicile in the 10th house, and it's applying to a square with Venus. And then we've got Jupiter over in the seventh whole sign house, uh, making it an, another angular benefic um, while the malefics are not occupying focal points in this chart. So this is basically a super Libra electional chart that would be very good for Venusian type activities, um, including art, uh, creating balance, and a lot of the other keywords that we've just been talking about over the course of the past uh, past few minutes. What are some other like Libra election type things or Venus type electional things that you use for Venus elections? I mean, I'm looking at this and being like, oh, am I going to finally write another uh, edition of my extremely tiny perfume focused tiny letter? <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'm looking at this and thinking about what does it mean to choose to articulate beauty and especially to articulate a form of ephemeral beauty, right? Like mm. this isn't about sculpture. This is about that which is um, temporal, 
Right. What does it mean to articulate temporal beauty? I like that. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Um, yeah. So that is our a lucky date for this month. That's the best electional chart we could find. And um, Lisa and I actually just finished our year ahead report, which I'm actually releasing the day that we're recording this episode. And that's our 2023 uh, electional astrology report, where we looked ahead at the entire year of 2023 and we picked out one auspicious electional chart, or we found the single best electional chart we could find for each of the next 12 months. So um, that's a report we've been doing for the past two years. It's become really popular and it's now available. Uh, for sale, and you can purchase it on our website at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2023 report. So check out that for more information. Um, have either of you looked ahead at elections for next year? There's actually some like nice lineups next year. I'm kind of excited about it. Not yet. Not a, not a lot. I did want to say one thing about the, the election you just showed. I'd mm-hmm. like to like second the idea of like a literary or artistic work um, that that date, uh, that that chart that you showed has uh, a com- the combination of Venus and Mercury and Jupiter qualifies for a Sarasvati yoga, mm-hmm. um, which is literally a combination which is good for literary and artistic work. Mm-hmm. So, if anybody has sphere and sundry quicksilver tongue, yeah, it might be a friend on that day. Yeah. It's really funny that you mentioned that because I'm actually releasing a book using this election on that date, and I'm not going to announce it quite yet, what like, the details surrounding it, but everyone will see towards the middle of the month. Uh, good choice. Yeah. All right. So um, that is the electional chart, and this is like the nice, warm center of the month that's like very calm, and we have a lot of beautiful things going on, a little balanced social interactions and things like that. But um, at a certain point in the month, things start getting a little bit more dicey. We've got a a bit of a tonal shift um, just after the time of that Sun-Venus conjunction and around the time of Saturn stationing direct and the Sun and Venus moving into Scorpio, which you can see all kind of clusters up around that weekend of Mm the 22nd and 23rd. Um, And then immediately after that, we're heading into the solar eclipse in Scorpio on the 25th. So I think it might be a good time to start talking about that shift um, at this point in the episode. Yeah, the last 10 days of the month are totally different than the previous mm-hmm. three weeks. Yeah. It's really interesting to notice because, um, as Austin pointed out earlier, Venus and the sun moved together basically all month. Um, and so, you know, it's like on the 11th, we have sun trine Saturn. On the 13th, we have Venus trine Saturn. On the 17th, we have Sun trine Mars. On the 18th, we have Venus trine Mars. And then on the 19th, both of them square Pluto prior to their Kazemi on the 22nd. Mm, that's so, kind of t- tense. Yeah, there's this like kind of constructive rapport with the malefics. And then this tense moment with Pluto right before there's that. And it, like, I'm kind of imagining the sun being like, oh, come here, sweetie. I'm so sorry. Pluto was so mean. Just come cuddle. Right. <laughs> and like, that's the Kazemi. <laughs> right. And the Kazemi happens a couple days later on October 22nd, mm-hmm. which is also the first Kazemi, like Venus Kazemi in Libra since 1879. And the first uh, superior Kazemi in Libra since 1867. So this is. Nice. A, a brand new era kind of experience as well. Wow. So we're shifting 
if if like 2020 and that shift towards the air element of the Jupiter Saturn conjunctions in Aquarius and other air signs wasn't enough, we're also shifting into a Venus Sun in Libra Kazemi air period as well. Yeah, it's pretty exciting, honestly. Nice. Okay, so um, Venus Pluto. So a lot of constructive aspects, but then we hit that Venus Pluto and Sun Pluto uh, around October 20th. That can be kind of an intense especially in relationships or relational aspects can be um, not just intense, but also like overbearing in some instances can be kind of the feel of that energy. Yeah, or um, undermining, welling up. Like Pluto, Venus, a lot of times there's like stuff that in relationships, you know, romantic um, and every other variety as well, like the things that there are tacit agreements to not get into try to come up, right? That's that's the the Pluto part. Yeah, it's like, mm. uh, what's the? Uh, there's like a phrase. It's like that what you resist persists, right? And it's like whatever has been resisted, especially if it involves, um, you know, whenever I look at Venus Pluto, I think a lot about power dynamics, um, either actual power dynamics or projected power dynamics, and the consequences of not um, just turning and looking at them straight in the face and being like, mm -hmm. I think this dynamic is playing out. Like, let's address it. If you don't do that, or if it's not available to do that, like a hard aspect between Venus and Pluto will kind of erupt some of those things. Yeah, I also so I see that, and I uh, like I see that where it's constructive to look at it, and then I see um, relationships between people where the Pluto just brings up an unsolvable thing, mm. where the relationship as a whole works, but like it's like every time that comes up, there's just no way to solve it, and so that's why there's a tacit agreement not to bring it up. Mm -hmm. Isn't like the you know I think we do have sort of a modern myth of. Um, if we look at the things that are hidden, then they can be solved. Um, and I think that that's true at best half the time. Mm -hmm. Some, you know, there's also the Lovecraftian logic of like, sometimes like things are, um, hidden away for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, and it doesn't help to bring it up. Right. Sometimes you just have to acknowledge like, yes, there is a monster under the bed. He was here first. We can't get rid of him. <laughs> we just have to make sure we give him snacks. Yeah, which is a little disappointing, right? Because there's this heroic narrative, like it's basically a psychoanalytic narrative of like mm -hmm. we're gonna we're going to go into the deepest caverns and we're going to shine a light on things and everything will be redeemed and the monsters will turn into gold coins. Um, you know, uh, Pluto means wealth, and you know, then we'll come out of the underworld richer and happier and more whole. And like sometimes, kinda, but like there's also the other half of what happens. Right. So sometimes the unearthing of the past doesn't necessarily make it better or doesn't necessarily erase the past. Right. Like if like studies show that when um, traumas are brought up under basically anything but really careful therapeutic circumstances, um, instead of healing them, they actually reinforce them and make them worse. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm also thinking about like, um, especially this coming in the aftermath of Venus's time in Virgo, like um, the urge to sanitize can also then lead to sterility. Mm -hmm. 
right? And so like the urge to fix is not necessarily the thing that is going to facilitate Eros. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that can be total mood killer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Eros, like both like sexy time, but like Eros also as in like that power that perpetuates lifeness and creativity. Um, Like a sterile environment doesn't necessarily generate new forms. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't, it can't, even like artistic forms necessarily Mm -hmm. uh, can't emerge from that. Uh, Or really like organic forms in and of itself just like have trouble growing in that environment. Mm -hmm. You need a little dirt. Um, That's that's kind of an issue. Well, it's interesting because that kind of rises also in a different context of sometimes like um, celebrities or, or like comedians or something that come up you know, from the ground up and, the, and talking about their experiences and making jokes about it and stuff. And one of their the advantages is, is because is it's very relatable. Um, but then once they get to a certain level of success or other things like that, their ability to relate to the majority of the populace becomes a little bit harder because they're in a much different or even more like sterile environment, you might say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I noticed that more with musicians than with comedians. Like, Mm. disappointing third albums and stuff like that <laughs> yeah or like or like pointless 17th albums i was thinking of uh eminem right it's like okay so you know you were uh you know a kid in detroit and all that it's like you've been like a millionaire for like 20 years dude <laughs> like um <laughs> like I, just like like come out with like some weird paintings in another 20 years like just lay low for the time being yeah or just you know talk i don't know you could write a yeah, you could you could write about like your frustration with your accountant and um, how the maid didn't show up on time. Like, be honest. So, uh, speaking of that, let's talk about that tone change that happens then immediately after we get that lovely Kazemi with the Sun and Venus on October twenty second at twenty nine twenty four Libra, um, where Venus plunges like right into the heart of the Sun, and then. Immediately after that, basically within the next 24 hours, both the sun and Venus ingress into Scorpio and begin their trip through that sign where they're eventually going to run into uh, an opposition with Uranus mid-sign and a square with Saturn uh, in November, actually around the time of the eclipses. And we see the moon coming up at that point on the 23rd as well. And just a couple days later, it conjoins the sun so that we get a solar eclipse in the sign of Scorpio. So there's a lot to say here. Let me just by let me start by saying that um, Venus gets crushed here. Um, Venus is combust for almost all of October, but a planet that's combust will retain its ability to do its thing um, when it's in one of its own signs or in its sign of exaltation. So even though Venus is combust in Libra w- with the Sun, it retains that ability, right? Whereas as soon as they both move into Scorpio, um, that that parasol um, that protects from the you know the sun's cancer-inducing rays uh, disappears immediately, and Venus. It, not only do you have the removal of protection, but you then have Venus going into a Mars-ruled sign that is difficult for Venus, and then Venus um, Venus gets smashed by the eclipse. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you know, one of the things that we that we saw. In during the solar eclipse uh, in December of 2019, um, which was right next to Jupiter, 
um, we, we were discussing whether um, does that does the does the eclipse uh, happening next to a benefic does that help the eclipse or does that smash the benefic? Um, and it ended up just smashing the benefic. Um, and so, you know, that was <clears throat> and, uh, that was right around when um, um, COVID was really out on the loose um, in Wuhan. Um, but and so we have a replication of that where we have a benefic that's getting um, dunked on by the eclipse. Mm-hmm. I'm nicknaming this the the Venaclipse, right? So it's like Venaclipse. Venaclipse. I like Venaclipse. Venaclipse feels nice to me. Um, but either one works. It's there's uh, yeah, man. This eclipse season in particular, I've just been looking at this for like, I feel like I've been looking at this specific eclipse season for like two years being like, what the fuck is going to happen? Like, what is happening? Chris and I were podcasting with Rick Levine like a year ago. And at the very end, he was like, hey, check this out and showed us this eclipse season. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the next one is Conjunct Uranus, right? Like, hmm, very cute. But like the... One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about, um, and like what, like as I was preparing for this, I was actually looking, um, looking at decans and also lunar mansions for it, right? So it's like in the decan that you, Austin, uh, have called the jawbone, and this is a quote from your Norwalk uh, workshop in 2020, um, getting what you want is not the same as understanding the consequences of getting what you want. And then when I was looking at the lunar mansions, both the sidereal one and the tropical one for this particular chunk of sky, um, we have Alcimac and Alicleal, um, and there's this sense of like what happens after, right? So it's like with Alcimac, it's like what happens after you you catch your tail, right? Like the image being a dog catching its tail. It's like okay, you got the tail. What are you going to do with it? Is this actually what you wanted? Mm. Or, the, and we can translate that to the modern, um, the dog that caught the car. Hmm. Yeah. Is this this is for the first decan of Scorpio, right? Um, this is for the sidereal 14th lunar mansion or the tropical 17th lunar mansion, right? Okay. So for like the 17th lunar mansion, it's like we're also looking at the protection of resources after you have gotten them, right? So it's like, what do you do with getting what you've gotten? What are the consequences of getting what you think you asked for, right? So I'm even thinking about this as it relates to the Venus Kazemi, right? It's just like, okay. Did you make wishes on that Venus Kazemi? Because like, you know, a week later, you might actually have to like face up to the results of your desires. That makes sense. That's really interesting because it ties in also with something, Austin, you wrote for, for the, I was just for some reason reviewing the first decan of Scorpio write up and you talk, one of the first paragraphs is talking about the idea of like hunger being associated with that mm-hmm. uh, first decan of Scorpio and sort of ties in in the notion of like hunger, but also like satiation and mm-hmm. um, whether that's possible or like what happens when you get full or, or can it be a point where you stop being hungry in some mm-hmm. sense? It is a South Node eclipse. Yeah, mm. yeah. And yeah, that's interesting. Um, so um, here's the eclipse graphic while you're thinking. So. This is eclipses for 2022. We had the first two earlier this year in April and May in Taurus and Scorpio. And this is the next, the second half of eclipse season where we have the eclipse in Scorpio on the 25th. And it's followed up a couple of weeks later with that lunar eclipse 
the big lunar eclipse on November 8th at 16 degrees of Taurus, very closely conjunct Uranus. So um, this is going to take us back to reactivating the Saturn-Uranus square, which um, is still going to be super close at this time. We can see this in this graphic from our Archetypal Explorer, where we had those three exact passes of Saturn-Uranus uh, last year in 2021, but this is the next closest pass before those two move out and before Saturn moves into Pisces and completes at least the sign-based square between those two planets early next year. Um, and I know we saw one of the things we saw in the April-May time frame, the last time we had the first full set of eclipses in Taurus and Scorpio was um, a bit of a sudden destabilization of the economy. And all of a sudden, the markets like started uh, really tanking at that time. And I was reading some stories recently about like the FedEx, the CEO of FedEx was saying he's expecting a worldwide recession because of just looking at their, their package volumes um, as representative of what's going on in the economy and how it's really starting to decline at this point in a major way so that he's expecting some sort of recession in the worldwide economy. And I would expect that these eclipses are really going to accelerate that process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that sadly, the signification of hunger with that first decan of Scorpio, as well as with the with the the south node also speak the but no both the nodes speak to digestion and rejection uh like the rejection of food um or the the hunger for it uh, unfortunately some of that's just going to be literal like we're literally like we've had all these disruptions to food for um, a variety of reasons this year um and but we haven't really seen we've seen some of it but we haven't really seen it yet cuz everywhere has some reserves and it's much easier to have food in some during the growing months in the northern hemisphere where most of the food is created and so you know we're heading into um we're heading into the months where we'll where people will really be feeling that hunger and on a slightly metaphoric level you know uh, there's been a lot of talk about hung uh, energy hungry like countries that aren't going to have enough as much energy as they are used to right and being like energy hungry being literally food hungry um and you know when, when we bring into that venus getting um being in a really rough place you know combusted in scorpio and then eclipsed as well you know venus is the the nice stuff it's the good stuff it's it venus rules taurus right it's the it's the the tasty food it's the abundant energy you know it's all of the um the the niceties right and so i on a you know on a non on a, on a not terribly deep but very apparent level i think that hunger will be literal hunger and like hunger for um good services energy or you no know, inputs it's not the good it's not the services it's the inputs like food energy are in our fundamental inputs which then we get everything else out of but like those uh, uh being starved right and that's part of like the the south node saturn thing when we were interpreting a south node saturn configuration earlier this year we talked a lot about um like starvation or having to sacrifice or give things up and so, you know, we're hitting the same South Node, Saturn, North Node, Uranus pattern again. And so this is because this is the second one, we get to see what the first one really set in motion. You know, something that makes me 
think of. Actually, go ahead, Diana. I was just going to say, like, the second eclipse that's conjoined Uranus is ruled by a Venus that's still in Scorpio. Um, mm. And um, there's something about the uh, diminishment of comforts um, and, like, mm, like a diminishment of, um, like, I don't know. It's like, I think for like when I say comforts, like for some, it's just like a reduction in convenience. And I think for others, it's going to be like a reduction in um, capacity to remain stable. Yeah, that makes sense, especially because that with that eclipse, Venus and like the entire eclipse axis is very closely squaring Saturn at 18 mm -hmm. degrees of Aquarius at that time, which is just going to intensify the feeling of like a lack or a feeling of coldness or or scarcity mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and this is oh, go ahead i was just gonna say i think for those folks who can anticipate this being more about a reduction in convenience but not necessarily a reduction in stability um like an excellent time to be supporting your local food banks and any other endeavors to ensure that people have what they need this winter mm. yeah for sure um, something uh, thinking of that, what both of you were saying made me think of also is because Jupiter is going to retrograde back into Pisces later this month at the same time, not too long after this eclipse that we're talking about, or right in the middle, basically, these two eclipses. One of the things that was super prominent earlier this year was inflation and issues with inflation, which really got out of control earlier this year when Jupiter was with Pisces and they've sort of been relatively decent over the past several months about trying to get it under control again and slow it down so that it seems like it's getting better. But I wonder if Jupiter returning back to Pisces combined with some of this stuff won't um, upset some of that so that inflation becomes an issue again. Yeah, we also had... Uh, so <clears throat> one of the things that I said in the yearly um, was I, it looked this looked like bubble popping time with the Mars stationing square Neptune, right? And I meant that financially, and and I'll I'll still uh, stand by that. But what I missed was earlier in the year when Mars conjoined Neptune, which tanked crypto, um, which tanked lots of things. And I was, you know, I was looking at Mars Neptune for popping bubbles, but missed the conjunction because I was so focused on the uh, the retrograde. Um, but we have a replication of that dynamic where we have Ju uh, by the end of the month mars stations retrograde square neptune and jupiter moves back into pisces so it's with neptune um and so we have this like jupiter neptune and then <clears throat> potentially popped by mars uh, arrangement again yeah that's perfect because we can see that jupiter neptune conjunction right there at 29 and 22 pisces and then October 30th, we just see Mars station right there at 25 Gemini and that piercingness of that square, like popping that Pisces bubble. Yeah. All right. So those are all, all, that's a lot of stuff going on. And then on top of all of that, Saturn is also making its final direct station at 18 degrees of Aquarius at this time around October 23rd, just a couple of days before the eclipse takes place. And so this will be the last time that Saturn stations in Aquarius, and then it's going to start picking up speed over the next several months and then speed out of, or very slow, let's say very slowly drive out of the sign of Aquarius and move into Pisces in March of next year. 
So this is the final, final pass of, you know, if people are having Saturn returns in Aquarius, it's going to start wrapping it up. Uh, this will be the tail end of it. If people are having heavy Saturn transits through Aquarius, this is going to be the final run. Um, I was seeing a really interesting, I watched last night, like this hour long, really interesting Saturn return story where it was like um, Conan O'Brien was telling the story of how he got the late night show, how he became a talk show host in the 1990s when he was 29 years old. And he was actually telling this story that was focused on how it happened literally around the time of his 30th birthday that this show kind of fell in his lap and he didn't really want it. And he thought it was kind of going to be a huge burden and he had a lot of reservations, but he ended up kind of going along with it. Um, and then it being, you know, basically his life's work at that point over the next 30 years. But what was interesting about it is he was telling this story as a retrospective of how that went during his Saturn return in Aquarius in the, in the 1993 timeframe. But then Saturn has returned to Aquarius over the past few years and he stepped down and stopped doing being a late night talk show host. Basically, I think just a year or two ago, he ended his TBS show and then he started getting into podcasting and his podcast was recently purchased by like Sirius XM for like $150 million. And so now he's starting a bunch of spinoff podcast shows and starting a whole podcast episode, uh, empire as he's opening up the next 30 years uh, of this next Saturn cycle for him. For some reason, I'm thinking about video killed the radio star, but like reversed. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> like, except with podcast. Yeah, it's like audio taking over video versus the other way around, which is what happened when MTV came to be. But yeah. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so is, so is that the exit strategy for the astrology podcast, Chris? You're going to become a TV show? Uh, being acquired for $150 million. Or, oh, that. Yeah, right. By like Sirius XM, that would be good. And then everybody would get their own like sub podcast episode. It would be like Austin's like happy time hour on Thursdays or something like that. Um, we'd have to do spinoff shows. Austin Austin reads children's books. Mm, I would pay. I would subscribe to that Patreon. Do I get to uh, write the children's books? Yes. <laughs> or I don't know. do I? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, have I don't you ever actually that. read? Have you ever actually read Grimm's fairy tales? Oh, they're terrifying. They're so good. Oh, they're awesome. There's one called The Devil's Sooty Brother um, that's about, uh, about this ex-soldier who makes a deal with the devil, and then he breaks it, but the devil is super cool about it, and then he breaks it again, but the devil is super cool, and then he ends up um, fabulously rich and marries a princess, and all you can take away from it is that the devil is super awesome and you can even go back on the deals, but he totally gets it and gives you, you know, and gives you, you know, lots of, uh, lots of slack. And I was like, this is not, I don't, I don't know that this is the lesson <laughs> that the kids need. If you do meet the devil, definitely make a deal is the only takeaway from that. You can read it online. The devil's sooty brother, like, like soot from like coal. All right, I'm I'm second guessing this like Austin Storytime Hour <laughs> podcast. I'm gonna have to go back to the drawing board on that, but we'll see. We'll see what I come up with. Uh, see if we can come up with something else. So yeah, people are gonna be finishing up their Saturn returns in Aquarius, which is really cool. Um, and everybody who's been having heavy fixed sign transits, I mean, you're not out of the woods yet because this is gonna be an intensification of that. And I saw a ton of people have major endings and major beginnings. In their life, um, due to those eclipses that were happening in the April May timeframe, and I think we're going to see the next 
evolution or the next um, side of that here with this next set of eclipses here in, in late October and early November. Yeah. And this is, this is really like the most stressed that um, the Saturn Uranus square gets before it's gone. Like this is the last storm or shakeup um, or stress test. Like it's around like by orb until Saturn goes into Pisces, but this is really it. Like this is the eclipses, you know, pinging it. This is, this is the last, like this is the last hurrah of this um, shaking things until they fall apart energy. And then we move into the Saturn and Neptune energy for years, which will be, I don't know, watching things rot or wash away. It'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be a different thing and it'll be a very different vibe. One of the things I saw was not just like people shaking the foundations, but there was a lot of like giving up and like walking away or stepping back from something that I saw in different people's stories that were getting hit by some of that fixed sign stuff or some of those eclipses in the spring time frame. Um, and it'll be interesting to see that again. Did you, either of you see things like that or what kind of stories did you see from the last set of eclipses or, or from the fixed sign people? It was <clears throat> during the Mars, during the, the Mars conjunct Uranus and Rahu a few months ago, uh, all that in Taurus square Saturn, mm. um, you had the, you had the beginning of this, you know, massive movement in China where people just decided en masse to stop paying their exploitative mortgages and they were just walking away. Um, and that's, I believe that's also the time that the, um, the slogan, let it rot started trending, uh, in, in, you know, a Chinese phrase that, uh, I think it's bao, bao lan, um, that translates to let it rot. Right, which is the walking away from it, even though you know, even though there's a huge price to walking away, walking away and just letting it rot. Um, I'm just thinking about what's been going on in terms of unionization efforts um, mm. with like Amazon and Starbucks in particular. Um, uh, there's and a then the big rail railways. Strike. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, going to yeah. say the rail workers being like the most recent iteration of that of just like absolutely unlivable working conditions. Um, and most people don't know somebody who works in rail, so there's not really an awareness of how um, exploitive um, that kind of labor can be. Um, I'm thinking about that, but also like back in like April, May, um, I consistently get, just generally speaking, I get a lot of Taurus rising and Scorpio rising, especially Scorpio rising clients. Um, and so many people completely restructuring how they relate with themselves and how they relate with others. You know, it's like that primary first house, seventh house axis. Right. Like really, especially at this point, like the eclipses are happening in that axis, but like Uranus has been hanging out there since 2018. And so in a lot of ways, like in Taurus, and so in a lot of ways, like these eclipses are kind of... um I don't know. It's like if you can think about like the Conmarie method, it's like people have had like piles of clothes on their floor for like years, but they haven't really dealt with it because they've had too many sentimental attachments to things they can't fit into anymore. And now the eclipses are just being like, you know what? I don't want this. Like, let it be gone. I want this change, which not to say like all fixies like want change. I think that would be a lie if I said that. Um, but kind of getting to the breaking point of just, I understand now that like 
not changing is going to cause me more misery than just finally changing. Yeah. And that there's an opening suddenly where there's a choice and you're given mm-hmm. a clear choice between the change or no change. Mm-hmm. Um, but having to make a choice, like reaching a fork in the road where you've got to go one way or another. Yep. If you want to keep moving, you got to make a choice. Yeah, or be buried in that, mm-hmm. that pile of clothes. Right. It's like you can go or you can be dragged. Either way you're going also, mm-hmm. I think, is, is like a, a vibe that's been pretty persistent throughout this time period. Yeah, or you can be entombed. Or entombed. That, yeah. that's, that's usually motivation enough to do mm-hmm. anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the major energy, basically, that we head into in the last third of October. And that's going to carry us forward well into November with that second eclipse and the second shoe dropping at the beginning of the first week or second week of November. So um, that kind of is going to leave us in a bit of like once again, like a cliffhanger here in terms of um, our forecasts because we don't want to keep going. We we keep like threatening to go into November. We've got to stop ourselves a little bit. Um, But I think that does start bringing us towards the end of the month here when it comes to this forecast for the month of October. are there any other major things that we're like leaving out or that we meant to mention? I know we've talked about the Mars retrograde. Um, you know, that really ramps up and begins at the very end of October when it stations on the 30th, and it's going to be retrograde all the way to January 12th. We talked about how um, it's then going to retrace its steps and go back and revisit some of the actions or even some of the conflicts that were maybe brought up earlier that you thought were over. Um, is there anything else to say about that or any other things as we get towards the end of this episode? Um, I just oh. want to make Go ahead. Okay. I just wanted to like make a note of the fact that Mercury is going to be repeating the pattern that Sun and Venus did in Libra uh earlier in the month. And that on the 26th it trines uh Mars, and then on the 27th it squares Pluto, which is the same day that Jupiter moves into Pisces. On the 29th, Mercury moves into Scorpio, and so there's like a by sign trine that gets pretty immediately formed between Mercury and Jupiter. Um, mm. That just kind of gets progressively closer to each other through November until it goes exact. And so I think that's like a cute and worthy thing to make note of amidst the, the Mars retrograde because Mercury is ruling that Mars as it stations and it will be in Mars's place, like in Mars's house whenever Mars stations. So there's a, a non-aspected uh, mutual reception happening in that moment. Yeah, that Mars that Mars station. Um, it just reminds me so much of um, you know. There's like that challenge going around where there's like a chip that YouTubers are like eating. It's like a single chip that has just like the spiciest pepper on it you've ever tasted, and and you watch them just eat this one chip, and then slowly the realization comes over them that they've made a huge mistake. And it just starts burning their mouth and they try to swallow it. Then it starts burning their insides, but they're stuck at that point because you can't can't really unswallow the chip. You can try and like throw up or what have you, but then all this stuff is still burning both your tongue and your insides. And you just have to like sit with that burning hot feeling as it's staying in place and it's like not going anywhere for a while. And that Mars station kind of re- reminds me of that just because there is that that hot um or that that feeling of being poked by something and, and that feeling not being a passing thing where normally Mars transits are just like 
you know, a day or two and it's kind of over, it's like pretty quick. But in this instance, it gets elongated for some reason. And that sense of like irritation, especially if that's hitting a personal planet in your chart by a hard aspect will sort of be extended for a period of time around that last week of October and that first week of November. Yeah. Well, and part of the, how that will translate into experience is Mars is the action button. Um, and so there's a like, oh, you need to do something about this. You need to, you know, go, go, go. But Mars is not moving at all. Um, and so there's a contradiction between Mars's motion and sort of essential significations. And so, you know, like to your point, Chris, there's like the the hot. So you're like, oh, I'm going to do something about this. I'll throw up or I won't eat this. Or but it's like, but there's nothing I can do yeah. right now. You like drink some water and usually that would just like wash the taste out of your mouth and it would go away. But for some reason, the taste isn't going away. It's lingering. Yeah. Capsaicin requires milk, not water. It requires mm. the moon, right? So it's like yeah. if any suggestions were to be proffered, it's just like, how do you make nice with your moon whenever Mars is being annoyingly spicy, obnoxiously spicy? What is that unlikely thing, which if you took that, that you don't realize that that's the like antidote to, to what you're feeling right now that might provide some measure of relief, uh, even if only temporarily? Yeah, you want something fatty and cooling like Jupiter Moon. Um, what I would like to, I think we should reiterate what we said last month about the lead up to the Mars retrograde, which is like keep an eye on what Mars is doing so you're not surprised once it once it starts the retrograde. Mm. Like Mars really doesn't sneak up on you unless you've got headphones on. Like this, you know, it's it's. Uh, it's been in the shadow since what the eighth or no the third of September, and so it's in shadow from third of September to what October thirtieth. Like that's not there's plenty of time to get a bead on what Mar Mars is doing. And one thing I would like just uh, keep an eye on for people that are sensitive to that is the Mars the, as it approaches the retrograde phase, really uneven energy levels. Like manic, can't go to sleep, like can't stop can't stop, won't stop. Um, and then like can barely move like zero motivation, like uh, on and off, maybe even in the same day or multiple times within the week. Um, and doing whatever you can to steady, to create some steadiness because Mars is going to be doing anything, but giving you like steady, like wake up. And I feel like, you know, I feel like attacking my problems and kicking some ass. Like it's very too much and too little. Um, in these phases. It reminds me of the trine that's happening from Saturn and Aquarius towards Mars and Gemini. And just thinking about like, what is the, uh, what is the cool headed time management that allows for a better use of energetic resources? Yeah. And yeah, using that fixed planet and the capacity for discipline and structure that that has to like keep mars from getting too crazy because this mars and gemini is not a stable energy even when it's normal and direct and so adding the retrograde motion the being close to earth and bright and literally up all night um you know for those of you who like looking at the sky with your astrology mars will get mars is getting increasingly brighter and will be visible for uh, a greater and greater proportion portion of the night 
Um, it's, it's not only brighter in visibility, but it's also visible for longer. And then at the heart of the retrograde in early December, yeah, it'll be, um, it'll literally rise as the sun sets. You know, it's almost, it's, it, there are some analogies to it being a full moon phase for Mars. Yeah. Um, so that was a really good point though, about, you know, there was a long lead into this Mars station and really it's going to go back all the way, even to, I would say August 19th or August 20th, when Mars first went into Gemini, because that was the point at which it first really ingressed into the whole sign house that it's just going to stay stuck in for, for everyone for the next several months. So even thinking back to any major shifts in terms of things that took place in that area of your life that match that house might be good because what we should see is an intensification of some of that once Mars stations retrograde. Um, do we earlier this year when we did the year ahead forecast, we talked about the Jupiter Neptune. We always kept talking about it being something that like looked really good, but was almost like too good to be true. And I'm curious, like how that, like having Jupiter come back to Neptune, it's kind of weird. We're talking about bubbles being popped, but that kind of implies that when Jupiter comes back, if there, if it is, it going to have time to like create another bubble of like looking like everything is looking good? Or I'm really curious about that piece of this, the tail end of Jupiter and Neptune in Pisces here. Well, yeah, I don't think it's going to have, I don't think it has time to create new bubbles. Right, but there are certain there's some projects that were in motion uh, earlier in the year that are still in motion. We could almost see this uh, the second round of Jupiter and Pisces with the the stress from Mars in Gemini as being you know a test. Like any what survives, what what dreams or projects or visions survive that like are not bubbles, right? Those are just um, those those are just uh, those are visions right that uh, actually happened like separating the the sort of the wheat from the tra the chaff on a dream level right is it a vision of what is to come and what you can make happen or was it just a fantasy um and you really need time uh to to differentiate the two uh one thing i'm thinking about with this is um it's like whenever jupiter was in pisces and there was that like you know vaxed and waxed summer sort of feeling um, like one thing that I'm noticing with this particular bout is that it does include American Thanksgiving and, mm. um, you know, in terms of, I don't know, it's like hopium, copium, whatever, but also like the potential for there to be like genuine feasting in an interesting way. And like one of the things that I was noticing too, is like, there's a Hellenistic void, of course, moon the weekend after Thanksgiving, it's like nearly 50 hours of the moon, not aspecting anything. Mm. And so I feel like there's the potential of like, I don't know, almost like a, like, what does it mean to sink into the, it's like what, like not a fever dream and not a hallucination, but sort of like stepping into an almost leave it to beaver moment. Right. Um, yeah. Like somebody said like a coma, <laughs> you know? And so just, um, it's not necessarily um, like capital B beneficial, but there's something restorative about it nonetheless. Maybe nice with a small N. It's yeah, nice. It's nice. It's well, nice. And, I, and that counts for something I, amongst everything else. And I, I would also add that 
that like the Thanksgiving comes or American Thanksgiving comes right after we get the first non-eclipsed lunation for a while. It, I think we could, we'll all be ready for a break. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's a moment of relief. Yeah. I mean, but it also reminds me though, of like recently Biden was in the news for like a reporter asked him, he's like, is COVID, is the pandemic over? And Biden like offhandedly is like, yeah, the pandemic's over. But then everyone kind of responded or a lot of people responded that it's still like the third leading cause of death with like 500 people a day in the US dying or lots of people who get infected developing long COVID, like long term Mm -hmm. symptoms of like fatigue and brain fog and other complications, which later can combine with other stuff to lead to either major debilitation or death. So that's something that's kind of curious here that we'll see coming back in terms of if that's not a bubble of you know, the pandemic being over and things being safe again, but whether that's the case or whether we'll see different variants come out or just where we're at in terms of the status of COVID at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I don't want to leave it on that note. Do we have any like lighter notes to leave it on or inspirational things in terms of, uh, I know they, you know, speaking of Jupiter and Neptune coming back, I keep mentioning it, but they just really re-released Avatar in theaters again to remind people of like what that movie was about since nobody's seen it for 12 years. But it's interesting how that's going to come back at the same time of that Jupiter-Neptune conjunction that it was released under 12 years earlier in Aquarius. Um, yeah, I, I would also just point out it's still Jupiter getting way stronger. Um, It's still like, it's an excellent, it's a, it's an excellent position for Jupiter. And if you have um, uh, planets late in degrees that are going to get an aspect from that, um, that's not just going to be illusion, right? Mm -hmm. You've been getting the the aspect from Neptune. You've gotten the, like, I don't know if this is real or not. Jupiter is real. It's a planet that you can see. It's got visible light, does nice things, provides opportunities like that. Jupiter will be for some charts, um, fantastic. It'll be mm-hmm. really nice having a 29 degree water rising. I'm into it. Yeah. I feel like there's something here too, of just, you know, Jupiter entering Pisces, like after like a couple of, I don't know, like 10 days or so of Venus having left Libra, but hanging out in Scorpio. Um, it's like five days. Cause I know how to do math. Um, <laughs> but there's something here which is like, okay, there's these five days where it's just like the benefics aren't uh, like neither of the benefics are particularly cute, but it's just five days. Right. And so like maybe like your Venus access is um, curtailed, but you can turn to Jupiter mm-hmm. for similar, but not exactly the same kinds of uh, presence. Yeah. hundred um- percent. Like somebody's, yeah, uh, uh, one of the benefics is is fully operational. Also, it it provides a nice ending to Venus, the Sun, and Mercury as they move through Scorpio. At the very end, uh, after all of the like storm and stress of the eclipses, they'll get a nice trine to Jupiter and Pisces. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, like, like yes, yes, there's like some gassing up of, uh, of bubbles or illusions or blah, blah blah, but it also like does some real good things too. It yeah. creates some good elections. It's great for certain charts, you know, et cetera, et cetera. When it reminds me of like the necessary and healing nature of like 
not just distractions, but inspiration and fantasy. Mm -hmm. um, and that that's actually a really important component to living that can make life more bearable is like having something like that, that is like being able to indulge in like a fantasy world or in like a novel or a movie or something um, that is inspiring, even if it's something that like somebody made up or created, that those creations can be very helpful and can um, serve like a core role in terms of being alive. Substantially emotionally nourishing. Yeah. And Jupiter and Neptune can also be, you know, the, uh, how should we say, uh, the magical addition of real spiritual perspective on things, right? Because mm -hmm. your perspective can change the way you feel about things, mm -hmm. right? And it can also, uh, a change in perspective can also let you see the way out or through very clearly where you were blind to it from a different angle. Brilliant. All right. I think that's a good note to end on to wrap things up for for the month of October. Um, so what, what do each of you have going on? Diana, what's your website and what do you have coming up in the near future? Um, you can find me at dianaroseharper.com. Um, I'm also at Damashena, which is harder to spell. So you'll want to check the podcast notes for that. Um, one thing that I'm really excited about is like I have seven lectures finally up on my website and I'm slowly working on adding transcripts and captions to those. Um, so those are all available. Um, I'm deliberately trying to be relatively chill, um, <laughs> in terms of other projects, but I have some exciting things happening, um, in like alongside Revelor Press, um, starting a new series, um, in collaboration with Jen's art. I'm super excited about, um, what else do I have going on? I feel like somebody else here probably knows more about what I have going on than I do in this moment. So I'll just leave it there. Cool. All right. Uh, I'll put a link to your website in the description below this video or on the podcast website. Uh, Austin, what do you have coming up? Um, I'm going to be giving a talk. I guess it's a keynote talk. I don't think it's going to be different from my other talks, <laughs> but I'm giving a talk at the uh, online Astromagia conference. And I'll be talking about the role of the moon, the omnipresent role of the moon in magical elections there. Um, and then Sphere and Sundry will be releasing first half of October um, a Mercury and Virgo series um, from before all of the retrograde kerfuffles, beautiful Mercury and Virgo election. And so you know, if you need um, actual clarity, factual clarity, as we we're talking about getting back to what 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 actually can be counted and what can be ascertained, and when I get back to starting with that, um, Kate and I thought that that would be a useful thing to release on the eve of all of the confusion that's <laughs> that's on its way. Um, then, of course, there are. Uh, you know, there are a dozen um, uh, previous elections still available through Sphere and Sundry. But yeah, Mercury, Exalted Mercury, Mercury and Virgo will be coming out first half of October. Brilliant. All right. And your websites are what again? Uh, I'm austincopic.com and uh, Kate uh, is spherensundry.com. And those will be, the links will be in the description. Yeah. Yep. I'll put it right below this video. Um, all right. As for myself, like I said, I just launched that 2023 electional astrology report at the astrologypodcast.com slash 2023 report. Uh, also got a book project coming out and 
I'm also going to spend some time expanding my Hellenistic course this month on ancient astrology that takes people from the basics up through intermediate and advanced concepts for reading a birth chart at courses.theastrologyschool.com and specifically focusing on a, a new section for synthesizing modern and ancient astrology and applying the different techniques of Hellenistic astrology in practice. So people can check that out at theastrologyschool.com. And otherwise, I'll just be working on the podcast and continuing to uh, work on my Zodiac series, where the next entry is going to be the Libra episode, which I'm in the process of putting together now. So I'm pretty excited about that. All right. Well, thanks both of you for joining me today. This is a really great, I can't believe how much we covered during the course of this episode, uh, but it was fun doing this forecast with you. And thanks, Diana, for coming back for the, the second time you've done a forecast episode with me in Austin. Yeah, it was great to be here. I always love chatting with you guys. So yeah, It was great to have you. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, and Mimi Stargazer. If you like the work that I'm doing here on the podcast and you would like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. And in exchange, you'll get access to bonus content, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the month ahead forecast each month, access to a private monthly auspicious elections report that we put out each month, access to exclusive episodes that are only available for patrons, or you can also get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, go to patreon.com astrologypodcast. The main software we use here on the podcast to look at astrological charts is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available at alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we use a similar set of software by the same programming team called AstroGold for Mac OS, which is available from astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code AstroPodcast15 to get a 15% discount on that as well. If you would like to learn more about the approach to astrology that I outline on the podcast, then you should check out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I traced the origins of Western astrology and reconstructed the original system that was developed about 2,000 years ago. And in this book, I outline basic concepts, but also take you into intermediate and advanced techniques for reading a birth chart, including some timing techniques. So you can find out more about the book at hellenisticastrology.com book. The book pairs very well with my online course on ancient astrology called the Hellenistic Astrology Course, which has over 100 hours of video lectures where I go into detail about teaching you how to read a birth chart and showing hundreds of example charts in order to really demonstrate how the techniques work in practice. So find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. And finally, special thanks to our sponsors, including the Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is available at mountainastrologer.com, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, and the AstroGold Astrology app, which is available for iPhone and Android. You can find out more information about that at astrogold.io.